If you have your Bibles, would you take them and turn in them to Luke chapter 6? We're going to be reading today verses 43 through 49, which is the very end of this chapter. And also is the end of this sermon. Uh, It's the Sermon on the Plain that we've been calling it, that Jesus is preaching here. uh, That has taken up most of chapter 6. And so... As I said when we started this four weeks ago, this really brings us to a good stopping point uh, in the book of Luke, that we get to the end of this uh, sermon that Jesus is preaching, and it kind of wraps up some of the themes that have gotten us to this point in the book of Luke, as we've talked about not only what it means that Jesus is Lord and he is king, but now we've been seeing what does it mean to be his disciple. If he is Lord, what does it mean to follow and obey him? What does the life of a disciple look like? So I'm going to read this passage for us, uh, Luke 6, verses 43 through 49. And as is our custom, if you're able, would you please join me in standing as we hear God's holy word read. Luke 6, starting in verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us for our benefit that we might fill our hearts and our minds with it, Lord, that we might follow you, that we might know you, that we might trust you. And so we pray that you will use your word by the power of your spirit to those ends this morning. Lord, edify your people and build your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, today I want to take this last opportunity to share my rosebush illustration with you one last time. And I know some of you have heard this three, four times. doesn't matter. I get to share it again. And it just fits so perfectly that it's worth hearing one more time. There was a man who was charged with tending to the rosebushes in his yard. His wife, perhaps, had asked him to take care of them, to help them grow, to help them thrive, but this man was not much of a gardener. He had no green thumb. So what could he do? He, he started to work and he realized he had two different options to make these rose bushes look good. The easy option, perhaps he was tempted just to go down to the local florist, buy a couple dozen long-stemmed roses, to bring them back and to staple them onto his rose bush. And if you stood far enough, far enough away and, and maybe you squinted just a little bit and tilted your head, maybe it would look like a beautiful rosebush and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. And no one would know 
that it wasn't really in bloom. Of course, it wouldn't last very long. Eventually, those roses not being fed from the roots would die off pretty quickly. The other option to grow roses, of course, is to actually tend to the rose bush, to tend to the soil, to add fertilizer, to make sure that it's watered regularly, to make sure that the soil is, has the proper pH balance, to make sure that the roots are being tended to, fed, nourished, to make sure that they're healthy. And if it is healthy, a healthy rose bush will, of its very nature, grow roses, real roses that are being fed and nourished that will last and that will endure. Unfortunately, many of us treat our spiritual growth the same way. We see the two options, and some of us might be tempted to uh, staple on a few new virtues, staple on a few new disciplines to our lives. And, And maybe from a distance, if people squint and tilt their head just a little bit, it might look like a real Christian life. The practices that are just stapled on from the outside rarely last not being nourished. They're not being fed. One writer calls this the rose stapling technique of Christian growth. To say, I I feel the need for growth. What will I do? Well, I'll just start adding some new practices. But what's the alternative? What other option is there? The other option is to go for the roots, to nourish and feed your heart with the gospel of grace, to add the fertilizer of the gospel to nourish your faith at a heart level. That kind of teaching, that kind of gospel growth leads to an organic growth in which your spiritual life will naturally bear fruit. And it will bear real fruit, fruit that is nourished and a fruit that will last. This last section of Jesus' sermon, this part that he closes with, gives us several contrasts of this picture. Contrast of the external versus the internal. The external versus what is deep and and true and organic. The internal roots of grace. We see that he contrasts the fruit with the tree itself. He contrasts the words of the mouth with the attitude of the heart. He contrasts the house with its foundation. It's easy for us, and perhaps it comes natural for us at times, to just want to focus on the externals. That's what we see. That's where we see the differences. That's where we live oftentimes. But if there is only one thing that makes all the difference, it's not the externals, it's the heart. It's not the fruit, it's the root. It's not the house, it's the foundation. What I want us to see in this passage today is is two signs of grace in the heart. Two signs that there is actual grace in the heart that is, is feeding and nourishing your heart that leads to uh, a, a healthy, organic, spiritual life. And the two signs of grace in the heart are these. One, it will bear fruit. And two, it endures. When you have grace in your heart, it bears fruit and it endures. The first thing we see is that it bears fruit in verses 43 through 45, this first paragraph uh, of Jesus' teaching here. Now, this paragraph, Jesus talks about seeing the fruit and judging the tree, it can be taken two different ways, at least. I think one way that we often discuss this passage is when we're talking about judging others, just like we talked about last week. 
right? Perhaps uh, you make a judgment. Someone comes back to you and says, oh, you know, you're not supposed to judge, right? Judge not, lest you not be judged. They throw that at you. And so you say, well, yes, but you can judge a tree by its fruit, right? Uh, and that's true. That is indeed, there is truth to that. You can judge a tree by its fruit, uh, and that can apply to people as well. A person's actions flow out of their character. The fruit grows from the roots of the tree. But that's probably not how Jesus wants us to take this. Given what he just said in the last few verses about the the speck in your brother's eye and the log in your own eye, I, I don't think Jesus is giving us this parable in order to help us judge others. Rather, he's helping us look at ourselves. Right? He's not pointing out the specks. He's helping us to see the log. And so rather than reading about others, we need to read this about ourselves. Uh, we, we always have this natural tendency right, to, to be very kind and lenient and generous when judging ourselves and to be very strict and hold the line when judging others. And so Jesus is helping us to see ourselves here, to help us to have an accurate uh, view of our own lives and, and to see how to judge our own hearts. When he says there is this consistency between actions and heart. Right? And he's not saying that there ought to be consistency between externals and internals. He's saying there is consistency. Right? Whether you like it or not, there is a consistency between external actions and the attitudes of the heart. And so he's helping us to look at ourselves, to, to judge ourselves with an accurate judgment, say, do I bear fruit? Or what kind of fruit do I bear? Is it good fruit? Is it bad fruit? And if so, what am I to understand about my heart? And then what do I do about it? Right? If, if I'm not growing the fruit or the roses, how do I work on the internal state of my heart? Now, I remember hearing one pastor observe that, that this is only one of many places in the Bible uh, where the Christian life or Christian growth is compared to the growing of fruit. Right? Christian growth in our spiritual lives is compared to the growing of fruit. Fruit is a very organic, botanical metaphor. Uh, and Christian growth, like growing fruit, is also organic. Right? Jesus teaches us in John 15 that all Christian growth comes from having an organic, vital connection to the vine. Right? That for the branch to live and to bear fruit, it has to be connected to the vine. Jesus says, uh, if whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So the one true key that Jesus gives us there to bearing fruit in our spiritual life is being connected to Jesus. Right? And yet we recognize we live in, in sort of a microwave dinner kind of world, right? We always want shortcuts. We always want uh, just a few keys, a few tips, a few quick solutions that will help us, a few things that we can just add on super quickly to life to get us where we want to go. But Jesus says there are no shortcuts in the Christian life. There is only one way, and that is to be connected to Jesus, to remain in the vine. There's no secret formula for Christian growth apart from Christ. We also see that Christian growth is itself an organic process. It's 
not mechanical, it's organic. It comes from the inside. And that means it goes oftentimes slow, but steady. Slow, but steady. I remember uh, long ago when we lived in South Carolina and I had a, a garden in our backyard, which I very much enjoyed. I remember the first year that I planted the tomatoes in the garden. And they were growing and I was just so fascinated by these tomatoes that I would bring my deck chair out to the garden and I would plop it down and I would just sit in there and I would watch my tomatoes grow. Well, I learned that you can't actually watch tomatoes grow. They grow extremely slowly. You won't see anything if you're just sitting there looking at them. But if you leave and you come back a few days later, you see the growth. You see the changes. There will be more tomatoes on the vine. They'll be bigger. They'll be turning red. Growth in our Christian life is often like that, although on a larger time scale. And we often don't see the growth moment to moment, hour to hour, day to day, sometimes week to week. Sometimes month to month we don't see the change. There's an organic process that happens over years. We also see that organic growth is often seasonal. It's often seasonal like fruit, we, as Christians, will tend to experience more growth in some seasons than in others. Well, I should say we'll experience more visible growth in some seasons than others. And I say visible because we tend to think of summer as the growing season. And that's when fruit grows and vegetables grow. But in reality, all four seasons are required for the growing of produce. I can ask any farmer, they'll tell you that the way they treat their fields in the wintertime is one of the keys to growing good, healthy fruit in the summertime. All four seasons are critical, although it's, it's the summertime that you see the appreciable, visible growth of fruit. And it's the same way in our Christian lives. Every season is important, but there will come some seasons where we see more growth, visible growth, appreciable growth, than other seasons. And some will know the reality that as believers, it's oftentimes the hardest season that will produce the most fruit. It's the difficult seasons that we would rather not go through that produce the most growth. One pastor I know wrote a short booklet. It's called, Does Fruit Grow Best in Winter? And, and, and our first response is to say, well, that's not the growing season. And yet for Christians, we find it often is the growing season. That it's those times when God does his work of pruning, as he talks about in John 15, it's the vine that is pruned that grows the most fruit. It's the vine that never gets pruned that is not uh, productive. Now, Jesus makes one more very astute botanical observation here in verse 44 where he says this, Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes nor grapes from a bramble bush. Right, now, that's an observation that all plants bear fruit in keeping with their nature. Right? But it's also an exhortation. It's also an exhortation to us that when Jesus applies this saying, he says in the end of verse 45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now that is a very simple, but also a very shrewd observation. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, when grace is at work in your heart, we should be able to see evidence of that in our speech. Because Jesus says your heart and your speech are connected. 
Right? If your heart is constantly set on the things of this world, if it's constantly being watered with graceless water and nurtured with graceless food, then it will produce an output that matches the input. There will be graceless speech as well because it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. It's just an observation of a connection. We might not like that connection. right? We might want to deny that there is a connection. We say, no, no, no. You know, my, my speech may be rotten, but really, on the inside, my heart is good. But Jesus makes the observation. He says, there is a simple connection out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Which means, we can't, see, this is the attempt of rose stapling, is to say, okay, it's my speech that is the problem. Right, so I'll, I'll just fix my speech, I'll make a new resolution. I will speak more kindly, I'll use gentler words. Right? I'll have more grace in my speech, but apart from more grace in the heart, it doesn't last. Right? We know this with our New Year's resolutions. These resolutions, they rarely get us into February. If we're just stapling on rose virtues of life, they don't last because there's not the organic connection. Rather, when we realize that, okay, my speech is not patient, my speech is not kind, it's not gentle, what we need to do rather is to fix the situation in the heart. Right? To add more of the grace of the gospel to the everyday thoughts of our hearts. That's the fertilizer and the roots that will bear fruit that lasts. Because when there is grace in the heart, there will be grace that is evident in the speech. Now that's thing number one, that when there is grace in the heart, it will bear fruit. Number two, when there is grace in the heart, it endures. That's what Jesus teaches in this last section, starting in verse 46 through verse 49, the end of the chapter. Jesus teaches the end of this sermon when there is a heart that is truly rooted in the gospel. It is a heart that will endure even through trials. It is a heart that will endure even through trials. And Jesus teaches this by using this brief parable to contrast two people. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Uh, most of our young people know this parable. I imagine most of our young people could sing it to me. Right? The wise man builds his house upon the rock. We could say this wise man is the picture of the one in whom the, the gospel is taking root. And he's building a house. And he's working first on the foundation. That's the first step. It says he digs down deep and lays the foundation on the rock. Now, I remember when I was in high school is when my family moved from Sacramento to Colorado. And when we made that move, uh, my parents fulfilled one of their longtime dreams of buying some land and building a house on it. And uh, when they did that, one of the fun things that we got to do after we moved was to occasionally drive out to our new land and to watch the process of that house being built. Right? They hadn't started it before we got there, so we got to see every stage of the house uh, going up. Except that for the first few weeks, the house wasn't going up. It was going down. Because right? the very first step is they had to dig this huge hole and fill it with concrete. And all the walls were lined with concrete. And I remember we went and I thought, well, this doesn't look anything like a house. I, I, I saw the foundation I could not, for the life of me, picture a house being on that site. It, it, was, uh, it, it was just a big, deep bowl of concrete. But 
that's necessary. You can't build a house without a good solid foundation that goes deep into the ground. Now, if you look at the house now, as I hope to do in a week and a half, you can't see the foundation at all. Right? All You look at it and you see this nice, beautiful house sitting there, and you don't see the foundation. You'd have no idea it's there. But it's still the most important piece of the house because the foundation is what will give to a house its strength, its endurance, its structure. And Jesus says that, that this man <clears throat> builds his house, he builds the foundation on the rock. And then the storm comes. And, and the commentators help us picture this storm. They say, the rains came down and the floods came up. Right? That's how it goes. Right? The rains came down and the floods came up. Something like that. Actually, they say, they, they give us a little broader description, they say this is probably a description of a classic Palestinian autumn storm where there's these torrential downpours that come down on the mountains and all the water gathers into these dry stream beds and fills them up and rushes down into the valleys. And so where it's been dry all summer, all of a sudden you have these raging torrents of water and they come down and they can crash against houses on their way down into the valleys. But verse 48 says this. It says, The floods arose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it. Because that house had been well built upon the rock. See, that's the purpose of having a solid foundation, is that when the foundation is deep and the house is well built, the house endures despite the storms that will come against the house. Verse 49 gives us the opposite scenario. A man who builds a house with no foundation. Uh, In Matthew, Jesus says this is the man who builds his house on sand, which is no foundation at all. Why would you do that? Why would you build a house with no foundation? Well, maybe it's quicker. Maybe it's easier. Maybe it's more convenient to build a house without a foundation. It saves on money. It saves on labor. It saves on time. Maybe you think, it won't make any difference. I look at a house, I don't see the foundation. Right? No one will look at my house, they won't see a foundation. They won't know the difference. Maybe they're just trying to impress the neighbors with a beautiful house, and they know the neighbors aren't going to see the foundation. In fact, it's like the rose bush. Right? From a distance, if you look at it, and you squint a little bit and tilt your head, you can't tell any difference. It looks just like a normal house. It's aesthetically pleasing, as long as the weather is nice. As long as it's sunny and blue and and there's no rain, as long as it's typical Los Angeles summer, there's no problems, right? The house is just fine. The difference comes when there's a storm. And when there is a storm, the house with no foundation gets washed away. Verse 49, when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So on a nice day, you might not be able to tell the difference. They might look very similar from the outside. For all we know, the house without a foundation might even look nicer. It might be better. But only one house withstands the storm. Only one house endures. Now, it doesn't take a whole great imagination or leap of insight to think about how this applies to each of us in 2020. 2020 has been full of storms. Life is full of storms. I don't need to review them all again. We know them. Some of them we're going through together. Some each family goes through individually. Each person goes through. But there have been a lot of storms. 
And one of the questions we face in a storm like this is, what will happen to our faith? Does it endure a storm like this? Will it survive? Will it be intact at the end? We may lose lots of things in these storms. Some of us already have. But the most important question is, what about our faith? Does it endure through the storms? What makes the difference? Well, Jesus tells us what makes the difference. And he tells us in verse 46, he says, there's one person who's able to talk a good game, right? They call Jesus Lord, Lord. But they never actually listen. They never actually obey. They've never actually submitted their life to Jesus in anything significant. They call him Lord, Lord, but they don't do what he says. Right? It's an external show of devotion only. That's all there is. There is nothing deeper than that. It doesn't go any further. It's like this house. It looks great from the outside. But there's no foundation. There's no foundation or substance and it does not endure. And of course the irony to that is you're calling him Lord. But if he's Lord, you should submit. And you're not submitting. So your, your words are saying Lord. Your life is not saying Lord. Their faith goes no deeper than only the words. And if that's all that your faith is, it won't endure the storms. Right? It'll do just fine through the summer weather. But when the storms of life come, immediately that house falls and the fall of that house is great. Jesus makes a similar point in, in Luke chapter 8, two chapters from now. You might remember this teaching and this parable that Jesus gives about the four types of soil. The farmer who's sowing his seed and finds four types of soil. And he says one of those is the shallow and the rocky soil. And the seed that lands in that soil, he says, immediately it springs up. It starts to grow. But then in the heat of the summer sun, he says it withers. Because it has no root. It's exactly the same thing. It's here's a plant. It's growing. You think it looks good. You think there's life. But there's nothing substantial. There's no root. There's no foundation. And so when the storms come... In that parable, it's the heat. Immediately it withers. But Jesus says the other person is the person who hears the words of Jesus and he does them. This is the person who, who calls Jesus Lord and they live as though Jesus is Lord. Right? This is the person who has actually submitted their life to Jesus. This is the person who shows by their lives that the gospel has taken root in their heart. That their faith is not just a, a facade or a show, that, that it goes all the way down. It goes all the way into submitting to Jesus. Uh, this is the life where the actions, the words, the obedience is built on the foundation of grace in the heart. And Jesus says, this is what makes all the difference. When your heart is rooted in the grace of God to you in Christ, that is what makes the difference. And like a house that's built on the rock is secure, so a faith that is rooted in the grace of Christ is a secure faith. And this is important. Because once again, if, if there's one thing that we know to be true, it's this. Life is full of storms. Right? We don't need to be surprised when they come. We don't need to be taken aback. Life is full of storms. We know that. Even after COVID goes away, there will be more storms to come. Right? We endure them one at a time. 
But even after life is more or less back to normal, there will be storms. But the faith that is built on the grace of Jesus will be secure. If you remember, we go back to the beginning of this sermon where Jesus has begun and he he pronounces his blessings on his people. He pronounces these benedictions. You remember, he says to his people, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and revile you. He goes on and on. One of the things Jesus is saying in those Beatitudes is he's saying that of all the the storms of life, all of the sorrows of this world, none of them can take away, ultimately, the thing that is most important. In fact, those things are, are merely preparing us. They're preparing your heart for an eternal weight of glory. Right? Those storms cannot take away the foundation. Uh, the storms of this world, as trying as they are, as, as sorrowful as they make us, they cannot overcome a heart that's grounded in the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. And this is the good news for us. This is good news where Jesus says to his people, Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. We will not fear. Because what we have in Christ is so much greater than the treasures of earthly kingdoms. One thing this ought to cause us to do is to set our hearts and our minds on a kingdom that can never pass away. Right? This is one of the differences, is that the, the heart that is not grounded in Jesus will be grounded in something. What will it be grounded in? Ultimately, those hearts are going to be grounded in something that is temporary, something that is passing, something that will not last. But by setting our hearts on Christ, that will never be taken away. And so we set our minds on things above. When we treasure the kingdom of God above everything else, then we're able to withstand when the kingdoms of this earth come toppling down. Or when the kingdoms, our little personal kingdoms that we are attempting to build, when they come tumbling down. And our little personal kingdoms will most certainly come tumbling down at one point or another. There will come a storm against them. Right? We, we do all this work in our own lives to try to build some kingdom of ourselves. Right? Where we rule over it and people serve us. Those kingdoms will come. The storms will come against them and they will immediately fall. But the kingdom of God lasts forever. And so we, today, set our hearts on that kingdom more than the kingdoms of this world. We set our hearts on things above more than on the things of this life. We set our hearts on things of Christ more than on the things that that we find ourselves dreaming of, hoping for, wishing for. Those things will pass away. Jesus will never pass away. And so when we are rooted in Christ we find exactly what we need. We find grace for today and hope that lasts for tomorrow and every day to come. So we're reminded, we're encouraged, we're exhorted in this passage to remember that that if our Christianity is nothing more than rose stapling, and if we try to put on a few virtues here and there, try to look good and showy here and there, that will not last. But if our hearts are built on Christ, when grace truly is rooted and takes hold of us, then 
the kingdom of God is yours. It belongs to you, and that shall never pass away. That house will endure. It will stand the test. No earthly storm can change that. To the heart that is rooted in the grace of God in Christ, it bears fruit organically, naturally, seasonally, in time. It bears fruit, and it endures. That's the faith that endures to the end. Isn't it good to be a Christian? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for this teaching from our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that now by the grace of your Holy Spirit at work in our hearts, you would give us the grace to submit our lives to Jesus, to delight again in Christ more than the things of this world, to set our eyes on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Lord, that we might find all of our joy in Christ, that we might be rooted, built up in him, and that you, therefore, by your grace, will see us through to the end. Lord, may we know no fear, though the earth may tremble and the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, we will not fear. For you will never leave us nor forsake us. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.